Hey, welcome back to Pals with Bill Wadman, quarantine edition. I know it's been a few months, but it's been really hard in New York City to get two people in the same room with each other. I finally had the opportunity to spend time with my friend and filmmaker, Brad Rigo, last week. Uh, we got to talk about pre-production of his new movie, Cryptid, that is going to be filming this summer. Uh, the original idea with this was that we talk to Brad now, before the movie gets shot, and then we talk to Brad after the movie gets shot. Uh, just to see how the process went. I thought everyone would find that interesting. I know that I will. So uh, we kind of jump right into it here. So here is me and Brad Rigo. But I mean, you know, you know more than anybody, the reality of, of what's going on right now, just from the point of view of your, what you're trying to do. Yeah. Um, and the unknowns, right? It's like the unknown, like you are like a little microcosm of everything that's going on right now. Where it's like people had all these plans. Yeah. And then everything's just sort of thrown up in the air and it might come down and land okay. Right. Or you might have to wait another three months or six months or who knows. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, like I, you know, like I said, like when I first got here and I was telling Jeff and Megan where it's where two months ago I had more of a certainty as when this thing was at its peak, when it was at its worst, I had more certainty as to what I was up to than now. Because, because you thought it was going to be over and there weren't any formal requirements from SAG and all the rest yeah, of that? Yeah, there weren't formal requirements. Also, like people were still trying to figure things out. Yeah. And so it was like everyone was like, all right, we'll stay at home until April 30th and then everything will re- will open back up. Yeah. Now it's like well April 30th turned into May 30th or May 4th turned into June 30th to May 30th to June 4th to June 8th to June and then it became like well we're going to open up phase 1 and then it's going to be phase 2 and then 2 weeks later phase 3 and then now everyone's sort of playing catch up with this oversaturation of protectiveness, right? Like no one go anywhere, no one do anything. Everyone is super cautious about everything. And so now all of a sudden it's like, well, you know, I need, things need to open up for me to, for me to do anything, right? Obviously things need to open up, but then after everything that I need to open up opens up, I need about three weeks just to like pre-production time. Because all of my locations, with the exception of the cabin, are all question marks Yep. because I had municipal buildings, I had bars, I had libraries, woods obviously is fine. But other than the cabin, which I have, thank God I've secured the cabin. Like they're not even going to rent it to anybody else this summer. I had talked to them through email and she's like, yeah, we're not even going to rent. It's not even going to be on available on Airbnb. So whenever you want it, it's just there. Why are they, why are they not putting it up? I think it's just too big of a headache to have to deal with all of this stuff. It, uh, okay. So just, Back up just for a second sure. so people who don't know what's going on. This is Brad Rigo, who's making a an independent horror film soon, or was planning on filming it in April, I guess, originally? The ori- yeah, yeah. The original The original date was April. All right, so Brad's raised money. Are you, you're producer and director in some ways, right? In, in <laughs> all ways. He's like, and, and almost all of these things. <laughs> yeah. And... Uh, uh, and and so you you had actors you obviously had your script you had you've done a bunch of the pre-production on it's a monster movie so there's like a monster involved you did pre-production on that mm-hmm. or production on that and then all of this stuff hit and everything kind of stopped 
you also have to get your cast back together to some extent. Like Emmy's out in Arizona, yeah, Arizona, right? So I mean, there, yeah. th- all of that is 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 something you have to think about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, so uh, you know, we originally we were slated for April sixth, and we were, I mean, we were three weeks out before we had to kind of shut everything down. So close. So we were we were so close. To starting, which means we had everything lined up. All of our locations were locked in. Um, we had everything ready to go. And, and what if your sound and cinematographer and all these other people end up getting other gigs? Like at the time, well, there's nothing. There's no gigs. There's nothing to get. going on. There's yeah. nothing happening. So that's the that's the that's an advantage, I guess. It's an advantage, I guess. It's the fact that it's like it's not just me. It's yeah. everyone. So everyone's kind of like, and I've heard from, you know, I send out emails to the cast and crew every couple of weeks or whatever, just to be like, Hey, this is what's going on. Um, and so the sort of good thing is that we're all in the same boat and no one's doing anything. And so they're just like, yeah, man, we've, we've, uh, you know, whenever you're, whenever you're ready, you know, we're good. I mean, my, one of my lead actors, um, uh, Ellen, you know, Ellen, yeah. She she had mentioned to me. She's like, yeah, you're. This is pretty much the only thing I have booked for the rest of my life. Yeah. So so whenever whenever you're ready, like Cause everything got put on hold. Yeah, everything's on hold, and so so yeah. So we were slated for April sixth. We had to postpone it. We postponed it until like May, or, or we were thinking like, well, maybe we only postpone it for a couple of weeks, and then it became like, well, let's do it May fourth, and then May fourth turned into June fourth or June eighth. And now we're obviously not, we're, you know, midway through June. Yeah. And it's, we're in a situation where we can't do anything unless, until the, we need the hotels opened up. We need the restaurants opened up because we need people to be able to eat somewhere when they're there. Right. Um, we need to have public spaces like we're shooting in the city hall. We're shooting in the police station. We're shooting in a public library. So all of those places need to be open to the public in order for us to be able to, to shoot there. there. So, you know, whatever phase that happens to be in. And the phases here in New York are different than up in Western mass. It's yeah. We're actually Western Massachusetts is kind of of in lockstep with New York or New York city for the most part. So it's not too bad, but I mean, I talked to, I emailed the Chamber of Commerce, and we're shooting in Williamstown, Massachusetts. And so I emailed this woman, uh, Sue, in the cha- who runs the Chamber of Commerce up there, and she um, she said June 8th was when at, – at this was, I think, um, a week and a half ago. So it was just before June 8th. It's probably like June 6th or something. And she said, as of right now, there are no hotels open, no, hotel, no restaurants open except for takeout. Um, so they'll have a better idea on June 8th, which is their sort of – first day of like reopening same thing with like new york city now something i was thinking about with you because i mean your locations both hotels and other airbnb kind of locations you're gonna get or whatever you need to get part of doing it in april versus later was that the rates would be lower because it wasn't high season yet right is is this affecting that or do you not even know yet because things aren't open so who knows whether people will be running to these places or if their rates will be low all summer because no one wants to go out to these places I mean, I don't know. We're going to find out. Yeah, but is that, is, that, is that an element of what you're thinking about? It's a concern. I mean, yeah. I think I think tourism this entire summer is just gone, right? I, I just don't think anyone's yeah. going to even, – even once this whole thing drops and, ever, and there's that initial first like, oh, my God, it's all done. I think because this didn't – because this was never a, a flipping a switch. It wasn't just like everyone's home and now everyone's not at home. It is a phased sort of rollout, which means that everyone is kind of has to be somewhat more. The feeling of cautiousness is somewhat more there than if it was just like stay home. Now you can do whatever you want. 
Right. So I just think tourism for the most part this summer is going to be destroyed. So I don't think we'll have too big of a problem. We ran into an issue. You're like the mayor in Jaws right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we ran into an issue. We will be open this 4th of July weekend. It's It's been crazy because, like, so we um, – we had had uh, uh, hotel rooms. We had like f- a whole hotel basically booked up Locked out, yeah. for April, right, for, for all of cast and crew. So it was like 14 hotel rooms for three weeks or whatever. And when we had to move it to May, I had to call the hotel and say, hey, <clears throat> I want to move this. Is it possible to shift this over to May? And he said, well, I can, and this is sort of to your point, but May tends to be a busier month, so I'll have to charge you more. So then I I get really <laughs> I get really mad at that and we kind of got into a little bit of a back and forth and he wanted to charge me I think it was like $3000 extra for uh for doing it moving in May and we got we got into a little bit of a back and forth and then it, it basically what ended up turning out was May didn't work anyway so at that point he realized that um, no one's coming. He'd rather lock in you guys than have nothing. Yeah, and so I think he finally read. So by the end of May, he realized that May. Oh, by the time we kind of got to May, he realized that oh, this isn't like this isn't. We're not going to have a busy season. Yeah, it's just not going to happen. And so he kind of stopped that whole thing. And he's like, all right, well, just like let me know when you guys want to come up. Well, our rental um, house is open. Uh, yes. Okay, so you can get gear. You can get gear, yeah. To some extent, I wonder, are there a lot of people saying, no one's hiring us to do anything right now, let's make a bunch of independent stuff this summer because we've all got time and and energy, and you know what I mean? Not really. I mean, it's there's some stuff out there, but most people are not. I, I, I've seen some jobs and stuff, or I've seen some, some people posting things about doing, like, short films and stuff, but all of that stuff is still not happening until fall or early next year or whatever like they're not there is there isn't anything happening right now like the, even even stuff that's small small things that are going on like like little short films even they're not doing anything until you know later on i i just think the fear is so much and like i just think most people are just not interested in even even trying right now well you were saying too that that part of it has to do with the sag regulations of the requirements that they're having for to even have a shoot right yeah so sag just released their newest guidelines and it's um (laughs) it's extensive i mean we're talking like actors need to be tested three times a week and all uh you know everything has to be disinfected before and after shoots um you know maintaining social distancing six feet distance from people when when possible um i mean some of that is is like uh, uh, it makes sense from a just to like a oh if you don't need to be next to somebody don't be next to somebody like but but you can wave out of all of this you you're legally allowed to have waivers out of well a lot I of mean this I stuff? think it's I don't know the answer to that I, I all I know is that I like these birds behind us <laughs> we're up on the roof by the way just because we figured you might as well record outside so you're getting nature sounds as well yeah uh, so I mean. In order for me to get approved by SAG, I have to fill out uh, – there is a bunch of requirements that they have as far as all this documentation I have to submit as to how I'm planning to keep um, sets safe and, and this and that. And there's a, there's a whole host of stuff that, I mean, I just look at it and I don't know how – outside of – if you're like a giant multi, multi-million dollar set, okay – 
I can see how this is going to be a possibility. If you're shooting in a studio, totally plausible. I can yeah. see how this is a possibility because you're in a controlled environment. But like filmmaking is so, it's so wild west. Yeah. You know, like that you're you're in someone's house for a day that you don't you don't know this person. Like you're just in this person's house for a day to shoot one scene and then you're gone, and your schedule is so tight. Like you can't you can't disinfect uh, someone's house. Before yeah. you go in and then after you leave, if sure. you're a small production, like it's yeah. just not possible. Yeah. Um, you know, they, t- they even mentioned like if you can change your script so that the actors don't have to stand next to each other or, or talk to each other or things like that. It's like, yeah. you know, but these again, are things they're just that, covering their butts. Right. I and mean, I think ultimately that's what it is. It's just so that yeah. them as a union can say, we, here are all the requirements that we need. If you want to not meet these requirements, then the onus is on you and we're not responsible. I remember a couple of years ago, I had to go to London for a shoot. And I was shooting the CEO of this big building, you know, headquarters in London. And it was all set up and everything was ready. And then at like 5 p.m. the night before the shoot is the next morning, I get an email from the like main, my main contact over there, some PR woman. And she says, oh, by the way, you have to fill out all of these EU regulation forms of what equipment you're bringing in the building and all the rest. Mm. I was like, what? And I open it up and it's all like the exact wattage and amperage of every piece of gear that's going to get plugged in in the building, how long the cords are, how hot the lights get in temperature and mm-hmm. Celsius, like all this like ridiculously detailed stuff. That I was like, what? Are you kidding me? I'm like, you know, it's, it's, it's we're 10 hours away from this thing. Yeah. I, you know what I mean? And I didn't have a computer on me and she, I'm on my phone. I was like, this is insane. Anyway, I had to ended up running to a cafe with my assistant, Ollie, and like we, we wrote it all out and, and send it into her like as best we could. And then the next morning she was like, oh yeah. I was like, oh, did you get this stuff? Oh yeah. You know, I, we just have to do that. I was like, well, why didn't you just tell me we had to, that it was almost perfunctory. You know what yeah. I mean? Like we have to do that, but no one cares basically yeah. was her answer. <laughs> but it made me so angry. I was like, you scared the crap out of me that, you know, cause it was, oh, this shoot can't happen unless this stuff is this way. Yeah. And I wonder if so, in some ways the reality of shooting underneath the new SAG guidelines, when people start doing it and they realize that you're saying, like, it is all just a, a CYA. Yeah, I, I would imagine that, you know, I think because this is just coming out of it, it's the strongest possible. Yeah. Here is, here is the perfect scenario that we want to see as a union for our, for our, our, our members. Right. Yep. I think it, it'll, it'll seek a level that is a little bit more accommodating at some point. Right. Where it's yep. just going to be, listen, we're an independent production. We're low budget. There's only 15 people in the entire cast and crew anyway. Yep. So it's not like we have a ton of people hanging around, but there's also means that there are times when you're shooting in a small bathroom and you've got the DP, the director, the actors, the key grip, They're the gaffer. They're all going to be in like, a 10-foot circle. They, they got to, the sound guy, like they have to be On in a very tight area. And so I think it's going to be one of those situations where you try to prepare as best as possible. You try to disinfect. You try and have things, all different PPE stuff, hand sanitizer and masks. And you yeah. try to have as much as you can. But ultimately... It's going to be uh, there will be a risk to shooting that everyone is going to have to adopt in order to be part of the shoot. Right. It's going to be like, listen, we're going to do our best, but there is a risk here that that you will have to own if you decide to be a part of this production. Can can we back up for a second and and discuss 
wh- when you made the decision, or is that an automatic decision to do a union shoot versus because of the people you want to use, it has to be a, a, a SAG shoot and a, and and you know cinematographers union and all the rest of it. Is that because the level of people you want to use are all in those unions, and you're going to end up having to do that, or was that even a thought at the beginning of this whole process of oh maybe I could do it with a whole bunch of non-union people? and save money and have it be easier. You know what I mean? Is that even a conversation? Well, you know, it's funny because I was just, I was just kind of talking with my DP about this uh, a week or so ago because, um, pandemic, let's say pandemic aside, pandemic aside, if I knew everything that I know now a year ago, I would not have done SAG. Okay. Because SAG is, I understand why SAG exists, and I think they're great for actors for large-budget productions. But SAG is is not accommodating enough for very low-budget productions. And I say low-budget, we're ultra-low-budget, so our our budget is like $250,000. Which which to people sitting here, I mean— Quarter million dollars seems like <laughs> a not insubstantial. It's not ten grand. You right. know what I'm talking. About? You're talking about like a small house. You know what I mean? Sure. In, in a lot of places, right? Yeah. But yes, but in your world, that's not all that much, and that leaves no money for you know promotion and all the rest of it afterwards, and and all the rest of it. Probably, oh, there's nothing right? for that. Yeah. Right, I mean, right. we're, we're. I mean, even even at two hundred fifty thousand, we don't have two hundred fifty thousand. Like that's where our that's where our end budget's going to be. But. Yeah. We don't have that right now. We're we're gonna defer some money and like put that's that's you know post production is we have no money for post production right now. Like right. that's good. That is part of the two fifty, but we don't have it. So we'll have to figure that out. Yeah. Which is always the worst thing to do is to like have have a production and not have a budget or not have not. I have the budget for post production, but not have the money for post production because then you have to go back and try and get it. But that aside, um, but. But to some extent, having the train rolling, yes, saying like we have everything in the can, it's ready to go. We just need another fifty thousand dollars to edit and finish, or whatever it is. Yeah, that seems like an easier get than we haven't even started. We need right. some more money towards this production, right? Yeah, it's, it is honestly, it's like the worst. It's the worst thing you can do, but it also somehow is the most common thing that's done, right? It's like, <laughs> yeah. because you you, you is always... This, is this really common? Are other people you know who make movies, oh, stories here? Oh, it's super common. This it, is like the whole like just kind of grab in for the next rung as, as best you can. You know what I mean? Like, let's try yeah. to get to this place and let's get to that place and whatever. That's common. In, super is, common. Okay. In, 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 our, in our world, in, in our budgetary super world. super low budget of $20 right. million dollar movies. It's, it, it's in, in, <laughs> in our world, it is, everything is... Um, Everything's nearsighted, yeah. right? So everything is what is directly in front of you. And then you're just reaching for whatever is right in front of you. And it's yeah. like, well, I'll worry about post-production when I have to worry about post-production. And so yeah. that is also the biggest thing that fails a lot of um, a lot of independent productions is when they're going out and seeking money is because they'll go out and seek money and they'll get money. Th- and the, the investors will think, oh, well, I the, we have the budget. And then all of a sudden they now find out they don't have any more money and now they got to go out and get more money. And so it, it becomes like a, it's a sign of a bad business plan because you're like, oh, we need, 
$500,000 and then you get $500,000 and then all of a sudden Turns you're out like, the budget oh, now we need another yeah. $70,000 for post-production. Yeah, 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 yeah. like, well, then why weren't you getting this? Why like, did you wh- want six hundred to begin with? Right, exactly. And so it, it's a... It's sort of a it's sort of a knock on your planning skills if you have to continue to ask for yeah. more money because it's like. But at well, the same time, if your- you go in some, if you went in for seven hundred thousand instead of five hundred thousand, maybe they'd say, "Oh, that's too rich for our blood." So it's a, it's a double-edged sword. Yeah, it's all, it's. I mean, it's all a mess. But so so what is it? What is it specifically about the SAG regulations? Because it's not the pay. Because you can do like their ultra low pay things, assuming your actors will go for yeah, low it's rates. Just, it's just that SAG doesn't scale down um it doesn't scale down um proportionately to the size of the budget, right? Yeah. So like the scale and the the amount of money that you're spending per person, like all of that is fine. Like the salaries are fine. But the things that they require of you of a low budget is very similar to things they require of you of like a $20 million picture. Like one of the things that they don't generally tell you about, they're not upfront about, and you have you don't find out until <laughs> until way later. You're too far along. Which is awful, is they require a bond or a security deposit that is 50% or equal to the amount of money that you're spending on your entire cast. And they're requ- you're required to give that to them up front before production as a deposit, and then they'll give that back to you after production. So you've got your budget. You say, I've got, in our so case— So you're spending $25,000, $30,000 on your cast, let's yeah, just say. Yeah, you're saying $30,000 on your cast. You've got your entire budget laid out, and you've got everything set you gotta up. You've got to outlay fifteen grand to them. So then all of a sudden, you apply for SAG um, signatory, and you're four weeks out from production, and they say, oh, by the way— you need to give us twenty thousand dollars of yeah. your budget that we're going to hang on to, yeah. and that's that's on top of whatever you're already paying. So for any budget, anyone who's doing stuff out for budgets, like you don't have yeah. twenty thousand dollars extra. Yeah. It's a cash flow issue more than it's not like you don't get that money back. It's just a cash flow. It's thing. a cash flow issue, and so it's like it's stuff like that that they don't. They're not upfront about. They, it's like they wait until the last minute to tell you about it. They're, it's just. But can you can you get actors at that level who aren't SAG? Yeah. You, so you could get non-union actors if you really wanted to, who who can play at that level, who would do the job fine, and then you wouldn't have to deal with the SAG stuff. Yeah, like getting kind of getting back to the reason why I say I I, I almost wish I didn't do SAG is just because it just in the last several months having to go back and forth with them for all of these. And it's not just the paperwork stuff. It's you talk to one SAG rep and then you talk to them for a while and then they hand you off to somebody else. And then you talk to them for a while and they hand off the to somebody. Bureaucracy and then of it all. every time you talk to somebody, they want all the same stuff that you've already submitted before. <laughs> and then you have to submit everyone's name and everyone's agent's name. And then you have to give detailed schedules by day of when meal breaks are going to be, when opening. And it's like, It's fine if you have a production house and you're a fifty million dollar movie and you've got an office of people that are who are just doing scheduling, yeah, right. But when you're all by yourself and you're trying to figure this stuff out, and I'm trying to lock down location, it's like, well, I don't know when we're going to get the bar for that day exactly, so I can't tell you when the meal break is 
on that day a month from now. And, and do Ellen and Keating care exactly right. when you eat? Or is it just like, guys, let's just do one more and then we'll have lunch at well, 2 that, instead of 1 o'clock? Yeah. It do, no one cares. SAG cares. Right. And they yeah. want that all ahead of time. And they yeah. want, you know, like for instance. And let's say you did put in for 12 o'clock and you do not end up eating until 2.30. And Ellen or somebody, whoever, mm-hmm. uh, uh goes back to SAG and said, oh, he didn't do it. Could that be a bad thing for you? Are there like fines? Yeah, there are. Okay. So there's like, there is a thing. If somebody does complain, it is a headache for you. Well, it's as long as you're giving, as long as you're doing meal breaks, you know, every like six hours or something okay, like okay, that, that's right, yeah. fine. It's But it's more of, it's the thing of if they want everything up front as much as humanly right. possible, which I get. I understand that that is a good thing to have. But with your schedule changing by the day. Right. It's difficult. Like I, this is when it gets down to like it doesn't scale appropriately right. in the lower budget world yeah. because you're you're not, you don't have the ability to buy out a location for a ton of time, like you can't, you don't have these sort of this sort right. of uh, um, clout to do all this stuff, and so you're kind of flying a little bit blind for a lot of this stuff. I remember w- when you were earlier in the production process, and as much as you want to say about this or not want to say about it, I just find it interesting. You know, if you're talking about a quarter million dollar movie, I remember there were people doing like your line things where it ends up, oh, well, it's going to cost you 400000 or 450000 right. to do this thing. And you're like, well, that's not what I told you. I told you I had a quarter million, not 450000 That's right. almost double what I have or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> what what part of those numbers don't you understand? <laughs> right. But but just that there is, there's almost tears to movie making where having 250000 or having 400000 that's pretty much the same thing. To get to the next tier, you got to have a million dollars or a million five or two million dollars. You know what I mean? That like to go up to the next thing because there's so much involved in the production cost to go up to that next tier. There's like no room in the middle. Like it's like you kind of plateau up to different tiers of budgets. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's it's um, and I don't know what those I don't know what those plateaus are. Like that, I don't know what they yeah. what the increments would be, but it is very much like that because I know. You know, originally, our original budget, we wanted to get it under $400,000. That was your, our original budget. And it first came back, and it was like 800 and something. Yeah. And it's like, okay. So where was, where was the other four hundred fifty grand? It's a lot of ancillary stuff that... Um, you need an assistant best boy. It's not... It's You would think it's the craziest thing in the world because you would think... You'd be like, all right, there's a lot of fat in here. I'm sure I can trim off uh, the money that I need in order to get $400,000 off of this, right? But it's it's surprisingly not as fatty as you would think. It's not as though it's one line item that's four hundred thousand dollars. It's it's this like death by a thousand cuts thing. It's just a little bit here and there, and you got like, well, you have to have somebody who's the transportation captain. You have yeah. to have someone who's taking care of the picture cars. You have to have somebody yeah. who is dealing with porta potties. Yeah. You have to have somebody who's dealing with you know whatever. It's just like all that adds up. All of that just very very incrementally adds up, and then next thing you know, you're looking at it and you're like, how is it I cannot cut I you know I need to cut twenty thousand dollars off this budget. How can I not find twenty thousand dollars? My last movie I made for twenty thousand dollars. How is it I can't find twenty thousand dollars worth of room here? Well, it is. It also is funny, and it's like even the movie you're making for a quarter million. It's like you obviously have production quality and better cinematographers and all the rest of it. But like, there's nothing stopping you and me and a handful of people going away for a week and making a thing for just whatever gear we have in our pockets. That nowadays can look from the point from a technical point of view sure. very good. So there's a lot of people, like we were saying earlier, just even by the Zoom calls and, and corporate stuff and all the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Like if 
like just like the, the, what, what the money returns to you is is like a question mark as time goes like 30 years ago making a movie involved so many people because it involved film and these giant cameras and sure. giant lights and all the rest of it and now you have people like Soderbergh making movies with phones and available light and whatever it is you know what I mean yeah it's 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 all of that is is it's it's all more gray than it was black and white back in the day. Oh, 100%. And and into into a you know there's it's it falls on both sides as to good and bad, right? Yeah. It's on one side it's fantastic because you have the ability to make a movie at a budget level you like you said like you could not do in the past. Impossible, right? yeah. Impossible. Like I look at at a quality level Unbelievable. I mean, you know what I mean? Like students back in the day had to use eight millimeter cameras. Right. Now you can buy a thousand dollar black magic camera that looks like a movie. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I just yeah. I just saw a movie actually on Amazon Prime the other day. Um, it was a pr- pretty good sci-fi movie. And I found out it looked pretty good. Like I knew it wasn't an Alexa, but it looked it looked really good. It was like, no. well, this is an Alexa. But it's pretty close, close enough yeah. to make it look like a film. Would anybody else notice other than people Probably who are nerds? Not, right? right, yeah. And so, but it looked good and it was done well. And it was done with like the Blackmagic pocket camera. Not the 4K one, like the original. The original 1080p yeah, pocket like camera? Yeah, the, the pocket camera. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, if you just have the right lighting and yeah. if you just. Keep you, it within the dynamic range yep. and have good coloring people at the other end and. Yeah, and it was, the only reason I looked it up is because there was it, the whole movie takes place basically in, the, in a, inside of a station wagon, right? Yeah. And so there were shots of like in the station wagon. Like, How'd you fit that camera? Yeah, in that I was like, the, like where is the camera right yeah. now? Like, did they have like they, they certainly didn't have the ability yeah. to remove the side of a car. So yeah. where is the camera right now? It's got to be just like behind this dude's monitor. Yeah. But it's got to be tiny. So I looked it up yeah. to see what they used, and it was like, oh, they used the original Blackmagic. For those of camera. you who aren't in the business, the Blackmagic pot camera is maybe six or seven inches long by two by three or something like that. It's like tiny. Yeah. I mean, it looks like one of those old, uh, like, point and shoot yeah. still cameras. Yeah. It's just, it's like, it's this little dinky thing. Yeah. yeah. And so, anyway, so it's great in that regard because you do have the ability on a very low budget to be able to produce something that is very, very, like, very good quality, yeah. right? If, if you have really great people, the tools are not the limitation. Right. That's the great part. The bad part is you do have a lot of people doing it now. You have way yep. more people that have the ability to do noise. it. So you have more people doing it. So you have a lot more noise, which means there is more competition, yep. which makes it harder. So you're, the tools are easier, but you're, the level of what is acceptable has gone up. Now it has to be look really good otherwise you're not going to get your foot in the door whereas if you made something 40 years ago as long as you shot on eight millimeter even if it didn't look great yeah you could probably get it somewhere right you could probably yeah, yeah. have it picked it up some, somewhere look yeah the texas chainsaw massacre does not look good right but it is a classic because yeah they 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 actually made it you right know? like you look at the original i think the original evil dead which has always been sort of um um, your your touchstone, a bit of a touchstone. It's it's that sort of holy grail of movies where it was completely independent, um, shot by a bunch of dudes in college that were just like, hey, we're gonna make a horror movie, and like put the money together and went out to rented a cabin and shot it, and in a time when independent film was really sort of just in its infancy. Yep, and they made a successful thing out of it. But I mean, even that movie. Which, if you watch it today, 
it's a, I mean, it's a great movie, but it, I mean, it, it's, it doesn't look amazing. Yep. And it was shot on 16 millimeter and blown up to 35. Yep. And that movie cost $275,000 to make. And it's like, but well, $275,000 in 1970, whatever. Nine. Yeah, I think it is. Right. So, but you know what I mean? Which is probably $2 million now. Yeah, it's crazy. So, but it's still, it's like, you know, you wouldn't to make that movie again, it, you could probably do it for, I mean, you, I mean, couple th- ten thousand dollars yeah we could, could do it on our phone and you right <laughs> yeah and so so but i think i think where the sort of where the difference becomes uh in terms of yes you and i could get some friends together go out and shoot something um like could shoot my movie uh, we, we could get a bunch of people together and we could go shoot it with just with available equipment yep and probably be fine and probably shoot it okay right the problem is it's easier to do that with shorts than yep. it is with features sure. because with features it's You're more there for of a, two weeks not two days. It's a marathon not a sprint yep. and so with a with a, a short you just kind of get a bunch of people together for a couple of days everyone can take a couple of days off yep. and can do whatever but when you're trying to do it for weeks on end like people need to eat people need to pay their bills like yeah, people sure, need sure, to sure. live yep. and so when you start getting into that realm like you have to start paying people a reasonable salary and you know, you want to pay your actors in, sure. in a certain degree because And you want to own the rights to it at the end of it so you could potentially sell it. Right. And so you kind of want to make sure everyone gets paid um, to at least some degree, right? You, I mean, you don't need to have everyone getting crazy amount of money, but um, you also can have crazy disparity. You, you, you don't want a situation where you're paying your cast but not your crew or you're yep. paying your crew and not your cast like you want to try and you want to try and be as as equal as possible you try and make sure that everyone gets something to some degree yeah. so it's weird how all that stuff sort of adds up when you go from like the last movie the last feature that i did i it's like cost me twenty thousand dollars and yeah. we paid some of the crew that had to bring their own equipment we paid um, but none of the cast got paid. And so, I mean, I, I certainly didn't get paid. And, um, you know, we just had basically the money that was spent was all like food and transportation and rental stuff and all that kind of nonsense. Um, so, I don't know. It's it's a weird thing. Like when you kind of – when you you want to be looked at as a successful kind of filmmaker – and to do that, you gotta I be think, playing at a certain level. Yeah, you gotta play. You gotta play the game at a certain at a certain point. Okay. Well, has, okay. So let me ask you this: Has has the pandemic and all the rest of it, and the ske- obviously scheduling things have been a nightmare for mm-hmm. you? Has it changed any of the other scope or anything about what you were planning on shooting, how you were planning on shooting it, uh, length of the shoot, like any of that kind of stuff? Has any of that changed, or is it like we're just shifting it forward three months? But we're doing the same exact thing. Yeah, right now, I mean, you know, schedule aside, because we don't know if the places that we had are, will be available at the times that we need them. But as far as that's concerned, the the shoot is still 18 days. It still takes place over the course of three weeks. Yep. Um, nothing has changed as far as script is concerned. Like, we're not changing anything there. We're not changing any locations. I mean, I've talked with my, my, my DP, Kevin, um, you know, and there's a bar scene that happens, and it only happens one time in the movie where where they take place takes place in a bar. And he had suggested as an alternate, if for some reason uh, the bar becomes just not something that we can change get, the location, then there's like a this particular 
rental house that we're getting for the main set piece has like a, a a backyard porch area and he's like you could probably just do the two of them having this conversation back there as opposed to in a bar yeah and it's like all right i hopefully i don't have to do that because there is a certain amount of production value for locations sure so i hope we don't have to do that but but i don't know you know i mean we're going to see if bars are going to be open if they're going to allow us i mean it's we it's like it's so it's so crazy because we have no concept as to whether or not it's going to be like it could literally be a 50-50 shot of we could call a bar and they would say nope we don't want anyone in our bar like we we don't want the the headache yeah. or the potential of being a problem yeah. so don't even come within 5 feet or 10 feet of our bar or they could as long say, as you buy a couple rounds, come on in. Been, yeah, we've been closed for four months. If you guys are coming in and you're going to buy lunch and you're going to pay for, give us a couple hundred bucks for the yeah. location, you're going to do this and that. Yeah, how long, yeah. Is the, how long is this scene? Three-minute scene? I mean, it's a six or seven-minute scene Okay, or but you could film it in three hours or something if you had to? Um, no, I mean it's a it's a it's an Full involved day? scene. It would, pro- it would probably be like a six or a seven-hour shoot. Okay. Right. Something like that. It would, it would be a day, right? Yeah, so, yeah. But still, like... It, we have no concept as to whether or not before the pandemic, um, you know, we were like, yeah, we'll, we should have no problem getting a bar and just maybe shooting overnight or shooting yeah. when they're closed or shooting before they open. And it's not really a big problem. But now I don't know if they would be excited to have us there or nervous to have us there. Sure. And it could go either way. Yeah. yeah. And so so and, I don't and know how the feel is up there versus how the feel is down here is also different. Right. Yeah. And, and I'm because I'm not up there. I have no concept. And the only thing the only real way I've reached out to. So I do have like contact information for the town manager of the town and the police chief. Yeah. And so and also the the woman who runs the Chamber of Commerce. And I've, I haven't spoken to the police chief since April, and I haven't spoken to the town manager, I think, since the end of April, beginning of May. I want to give him a call. Uh, well, I've emailed the town manager, and he has not gotten back to me, and so I'm not going to push that until yeah. a little bit you later. You think it's because they're not there either, or that he's got bigger fish to fry? I think he's just got bigger fish to fry. Like, they're worrying about other stuff. Yeah. And so I have not emailed the, the chief of police because I'm like, you've got other issues. I'm not going to, since I don't really know when we're going to, when I'm going to do anything, so I'm not going to bother you. Yeah, I'll bother you when I have some information. Right. So, but the Chamber of Commerce, the woman who runs the Chamber of Commerce, I emailed like two weeks ago, and she had, that's one that she said, um, you know, by June 8th is when we're going to start to reopen. But according to her, she said that everything looks great up there. Like, Everyone is good, like, there's no problems, like, they're just waiting for stuff to open. So I think up there, it's obviously a little bit um, looser than here in the city. Sure. Uh, so no more space. So, yeah, so I don't know. I, I, I don't know what to expect. It's, it's, the, it's, why, it's why I'm so unsure right now as to what's going to happen as opposed to I was two months ago when even in the middle of the pandemic, I was like, well, we're going to get it. We'll get it in. I'm sure it'll be no problem. We just got to wait a little bit longer. Now it's, you know, even if, even if everything opens up by the end of June, right, you're still talking, I need three weeks to plan everything out. Yep. So now you're talking end of July. Yep. And, you know, the, the, now we're going to be shooting in mid-August. Does the uh, heat a problem for you? Heat or? is a problem just in the sense of it's, it was supposed to be spring. The script is set in spring. And so, you know, if it's we can, suddenly the summer, is that a bad thing? 
it's well, it makes the it makes the shoot a little bit more uncomfortable, right? Sure. Now you're shooting in the blazing heat of August, right? But it's not like ah, it, here it is in the spring, and this you know the monster has to be in the spring and not in the summer. There's yeah. anything like that. I mean, unfortunately, um, the story dictates that it's supposed to be in the spring. Okay. So there is there is a very specific reason why it, it's supposed to be in the spring. Okay. So no matter what, we, we're going to have to cheat it no matter what. So if it's August, we're going to have to say it's like June or May. <laughs> and so um, so I think that's an issue. But what uh, what worries me the most is if it goes longer than that because, you know, we're shooting in the Berkshires, yep. which once you start getting into mid-September – things start changing very, very rapidly. So the Trees and all the rest of it. Right. And so once you start, if, you, if we start, have to start filming, let's say we can't start filming until August. Well, then now we're, there's a chance where we're going to start bleeding into September and things it, like, we could get into a scenario where the beginning of the shoot looks one way yeah, you have and the continuity end of the problems, yeah. looks totally different. Yeah. And, um, and then I, that just worries me because we do have this broken up, we do have to have a second shoot scheduled which is going to be a couple like a month or so after the first one to get um there's like a whole there's a whole scene that takes place in a cave um that we have to shoot at a different time because we just don't have the time it's going to be it's going to be a couple hours away from where we're normally shooting and we just don't have the time to go back and forth so we're going to have to make that a second shoot time okay so you know, we were planning on shooting that like a month or so after the regular shoot takes place. Well, that becomes a problem there too. So, I don't know. It's it's just everything is just so. Um, it's hard because it's like I have so much time to sit around and plan, but there's nothing to plan until you get some sort of concrete something. I remember you were doing some more serious sort of previs virtual virtual laying out scenes and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. a few months ago. Have you done more of that? Like, do you think your pre-production, the, the time doing say previs stuff and pre-production stuff will make sh- the shoot more efficient because you have this time to do more of that? Or do you think it's sort of you were ready to go and now it's just sort of burning time waiting for it to happen? I mean, that's the, that's the hope. That's the hope. Like I hope because I I want this to mean something, right? It'd be a shame if it didn't. So it would be nice if the extra time spent store, the extra storyboarding time that normally I don't storyboard because I can't draw. And so I'm like, I always just write a shot list and then go from there. Now with this extra time, I've been doing more storyboarding and pre-visual stuff. So the hope is that it becomes, it, I'm able to run a more efficient set. So hopefully yep. that's the benefit, right? That's yep. that's the that's the idea. Um you know, the other thing is the creature suit which takes time to be built. Um that is, done? is we that's pretty much done. I mean, it's it's very slowly being built over the course of time, but so we're giving extra time to the dude who's creating the suit. You know, he unfortunately no longer has a crew working with him, so it's going to be a slower go anyway, but the fact that he has a little bit of extra time um, to make sure everything is what it needs to be is good because we would have been kind of pushing against it. We were pushing against it where it's like, you know, he was emailing me and like saying, when did you need it by? And I said, well, I need it by end of April. And he said, okay, that's going to be tight, but we'll figure it out kind of thing. Yeah. And so, 
you know, this gives it a little bit extra time to make sure that everything is where it needs to be. A couple more layers of gloss. Yeah, exactly. Like, so, so that's <laughs> always good. But, um, I wonder also if there's, if uh, we can sort of end here for this one, cause we're going to talk to you after this is all over, at least after the shoot and talk about how it went. But is there an opportunity because there's going to be a dearth of content coming out because so stuff, so little stuff is actually in production right now. Theoretically, if you shoot this and really work your ass off or find the money or, you know, whatever it is to get the editing and post done, that you'll be entering a market with a lot less noise because no one's making anything right now. And this is actually potentially an advantage that that nothing's going on other than you right now. Does that make sense? Yeah, uh, potentially. I mean, right cuz I mean right now regardless we're going we're we're this sort of 4 month shutdown is going to reverberate somewhere down the line. I mean, you see it in Hollywood as mm-hmm. it is where everything's getting pushed back and yep. there is going to be this 4 month gap, so which means there is going to be that gap will be spread out somewhere, but yeah. there is, you know, traditionally movies are all thousands of movies are being made within this period of time, and now there are none. So there would be a, a bit of a there would be a bit of a gap in there. Yeah, like that's the, uh, that's what you'd like to think is like, all right, well, hopefully, maybe maybe uh, the streaming services are going to be willing to pay a little more, or more likely to pull on things that are a little more independent because they need content. Yeah, know? and and that's something that you know. That's something also from a theatrical standpoint that has gotten slightly interesting, and I, I don't necessarily buy into this 100%, but um, you know, with the whole m- bigger released movies and um, that whole this whole kind of problem that's, that occurred with or this, this disagreement between like studios and AMC and Regal yep. with them releasing movies directly to the home platform during this pandemic and the fact that they've now come up, realized that, oh, they can make just as much money releasing stuff at home Our as they can. Dead. So they're, they started thinking, well, after this pandemic, we want to release this simultaneously. Everything will be day and day. And AMC uh, said, absolutely not. If you do that, then we refuse to. What is that? That is one of those. Lanterns? Uh, it's, yeah, it's one of those lanterns. Somebody put up a fire lantern over the city? That seems like a really bad idea. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, what happens if that lands on something flammable? Yeah, it, it does not seem like the brightest thing to do. But No, it's know. pretty bright, Brad. It's up <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe that that's up there. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. So, uh, Day and date. Yeah. So anyway, so like <laughs> the fact that um, there is this sort of argument now where theater, um, where studios are saying, well, we want to release this directly to, to homes at the same time, release to theaters and theaters are saying, well, if you do that, we're not going to show your movies in theaters at all. <laughs> well, if you don't do that, you're going to go out of business. So yeah, that's but, a bad, that's a bad bluff. So the sort of consensus among some producers and distributors are that some of these theaters are going to need more content. Oh, if they don't have the $250 million films to show anymore, they're going to need some smaller budget stuff. So it might be more likely that you could get a theatrical release than before, possibly. Possible. That's a, I think that's a real long shot, yeah, but, but I, I think mean, but that's it's, something it's, to think it's about. It's a crazier, it's not a, well, especially for like smaller independent theaters. I mean, I know that, I know that uh, like Nighthawk and Alamo and stuff have been doing all kinds of weird online streaming of old horror films and that kind of yeah. stuff, right? As like a way to 
stay in the zeitgeist, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, um, provided so that they knows? actually even, provided they actually even stay I mean, it's in weird because, you know, you, you and I and our friends are, you know, moviegoers once every few weeks. We usually go to sure. a movie in normal times. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that is, that could all be gone. When this I is know. all over, that's nuts. It's sad. I mean, I, I have I had the regal uh, pass, month yeah. regal pass month thing that I would go. I mean, I would see four or five movies a month, you know, but easily. And so now it's it's um, yeah, I don't know. It's gonna be re- this whole thing is just it's very strange. At the beginning of of the whole pandemic, I think it was like the first week that everyone started staying home. Uh, our mutual friend Bianca would came over a few nights just to have dinner. And then we all got on the mic and recorded a little bit of like, what do you think is going to happen? You know, yeah. and it'll be really interesting to go back and listen to it because here we are. What is it? June 12th. Do you even know what the date is today? 13th, I think. June 13th. No, is it 13th or is tomorrow? 13th? I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Somewhere around there. <laughs> uh, and you know, that, 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 that here we are three months later and we still have no idea. Yeah, it's just very, it's just very strange. It is. It is very. It is very. I mean, odd. you you took the subway here for for the first time in months. Yeah, it's the very first time. I mean, I, did it I, feel weird even going down the subway and running your card? It did. Yeah, I, I actually ran the wrong card like a couple times, <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is not the right card. I, I forgot what it looked like. Um, yeah, yeah, it's very it's very bonkers. The the thing that the thing that uh, the thing that scares me, and not necessarily scares me, I guess. Um, the Brad, biggest, Brad's quivering right now, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, the thing that that I worry about um, from like our movie standpoint, or, or is you know when we were when we were originally planning it for the beginning of April, and we we're like, all right, April sixth, um, we're ready to go, and come hell or high water, we're going to shoot it. Now, we probably we probably weren't ready for it. it right. Like you know what I mean? Like there was so much stuff that we were doing last minute that we're like oh my god we gotta get this and we gotta get this and we still gotta get that and oh my god i don't even know how i'm gonna do this yet and we're only a couple weeks away um but so certainly like with this whole pandemic we now had i've now had a whole bunch of extra time to kind of iron out some of these details which is great but like the thing that this has robbed us of is agency Right. Where it's just your when you're in that mindset of like, well, this is the date we're starting. We have to get it in by this date. So it's just like, well, we're going to figure it out. If we don't know it, we'll figure it out. Now it's like I feel like right now I feel like I would be starting from scratch. You've lost your power. Yeah. 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 It's just I don't I don't feel like a momentum anymore. And to like try and rev up. I feel like that's how it is for everyone where it's like everyone is like it's like you're waking up from like hibernation and just like, wow, I don't even know how to how do you do this anymore? (laughs) A couple weeks ago, a friend of ours came over up on the roof and I was like, can I just get my camera and take some portraits? Cause I haven't shot portraits in months. Mm-hmm. I brought a light up here and I picked up my camera and I was like, shooting. I was like, what is going on? Cause it wasn't working right. And it turns out I had like the, the sync speed, the shutter speed was too high <laughs> for the singing thing. And I was like, this is a mistake that I never would have made three months ago, but my brain has been shut off from, you know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I put this away and I haven't done it in, in eight, 10, 12 weeks. Sure. And suddenly, like, it's it's amazing how quickly you lose things that you do every single day if you're not doing them all the time, you know? But then again, there might be, like, a little bit of, like, a child's mind thing going on where you can come into it fresh and you're not as obsessed with it, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I guess we'll see, you know? Um, we will. I mean, hopefully, 
He's like, hopefully at some point before <laughs> yeah. I die, I'll be able to film this movie. Yeah, hopefully uh, this movie will actually have, like, it, it just seems, it seems so far away right now. It seems so far away. Like, every month I've had, to, you know, I've had all these all this stuff booked, and so every couple of weeks I have to go to the rental houses and the insurance companies and everything else and say, hey, guys, it's not happening this month. Like, they understand that, though, because they've been getting it. it from everybody. No, everyone has been fantastic outside of that one hotel, dude. Uh, everyone has been fantastic. Oh, my God, there's another lantern. <laughs> <laughs> this is such a terrible idea. Anyway, go ahead. No, but everyone has been really understanding and fantastic, this whole process. So that thankfully, that has been a very easy for me to be able to be like, go to – um, you know, Adorama's we're renting all our gear yeah. from. And so to go to them and say, hey, we're not, you know, can we push this? And, well, you and gotta imagine all their stuff just sitting in the warehouse. Yeah. If, no, if none of these productions are shooting and no corporate stuff is shooting, who the hell's renting an Alexa? Yeah, and nobody. And so, but they've just been really nice. And like, you know, we're, we, we've had, you know, we've got stuff. We have an Alexa and a bunch of equipment rented for three, whole, on hold for three weeks. And yeah. it's like a couple weeks before, I'm like, hey, it's not going to happen. Let's push it for another month. And they're just like, yep, absolutely no problem. Like, we'll, we'll, we'll move the dates. What and was your, what was your plan? You, you were renting one, what, Alexa Mini? Yeah. What was your plan if something happened to that? Keep shooting with another camera Cry. that day and get another one. Like I, I just no, I was just wondering. Like there were there was no back because having two of them is like you couldn't spend another fifteen grand on another camera that you weren't going to use all the time. No, it's just not possible. We right. just, I mean, it's we're we're so we're so everything is so tight. Like it's it, right. It's just not possible. So, um, I mean, the plan is really you hope for the best. Yeah. If if something were to happen realistically, let's say the camera drops off a whatever and breaks, or if it just fails or something happens to it, then ideally we would contact Adorama and someone would drive down and get another one and you would lose a day. Or maybe, you know, we'd shoot some backup stuff with like... Uh, the yeah, your pocket or whatever. One of my one of my production cameras, like a yeah. Blackmagic 4K camera, would shoot like some backup stuff or some insert stuff. Yeah. Um, and make do. I mean, it's like, yeah. I mean, ninety percent of independent filmmaking is is pivoting and improvising anyway. So yeah, yeah, you just gotta, you'd figure it out in some way. It is. It's uh. It's a, it's, 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 it's fascinating. It's, the whole like larger project thing is fascinating. It's, 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 the more sort of just messing around with video stuff that I've been doing, making my little daily cheese ball videos, it makes me want to do more of this stuff. Cause I'm like, Oh, this is something I, I just love picking up stuff that I don't know and sort of soaking it in. And mm-hmm. I don't know anything about any of this stuff. I mean, I know something <laughs> about this stuff, but like, I don't, it's still interesting to me in a way that other things I know how to do aren't anymore. Does that make sense? Yeah. Do you ever feel that way about movie making and film? Because you've been so inside of this for so long. Do you ever go, I'm done with filmmaking. Like, give me something, give me just another distraction that is where I can start from scratch and sort of enjoy the the beginnings of, you know what I mean? No, because as a filmmaker, I feel like I haven't started yet. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like it's that I feel like there's so, there's so far that I want to go that I'm at the tip of the iceberg, right? Like, so I feel like there's so much that, even though I know so much, and it's funny, I'm sure you run into the same thing. If you, you run into like a, say like a photographer who's just starting out and you run into them and the questions that they ask you are stuff that you wouldn't really even think twice about. Yep. 
and you're you're giving them information and, and you're like, is this even helpful? Like I feel like this is all yeah, common sure. stuff. I'm like, yeah. oh no, this is super helpful. Yeah. You know, and, and I run into that myself. Well, like I run into younger filmmakers who haven't done as much, and I'll give them like little pieces of advice or they ask me questions. And I'm like, is this even helpful to you? Like, this well, especially seems like this for is nothing for your your whole independent way of raising money that you've done for this film, which is a whole other thing. But it feels like you're one of the not pioneers, but you're one of the first people to really do that in that way. You know what I mean? So you have you have experience just because it hasn't been done all that much. Sure, sure. But I, I just think, like, uh, definitely, you know, we, we were definitely one of the first to do raise money the way we did. But like. I just, I just find it, I always find it surprising when I talk to younger filmmakers and I think I don't know anything, right? Like, yeah, I'm like, yeah. I don't know, I have, I have no knowledge. Like, the amount of things that I still don't know and the amount of things that I could learn are infinite. And so, like, when I talk to someone, it's not until I talk to, like, a younger filmmaker and I'm, and they ask me questions and I answer them that I think, like, oh, maybe I do know something because... yeah. I feel like I there, there's so far that I I want to go yeah. that it, it's just as I feel like I'm back where they are even though in reality I do have a, a certain amount of knowledge that yeah. is is helpful. There, you know? it's, I somehow got on a list of photographers that all of these A level photography students in the UK. It's there's like a list of photographers that they can choose to like write a paper on or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know how I got on it. Something, probably the motion <laughs> stuff that I did, the dancer stuff, because everyone talks S about that. And I get these emails like two or three a month from some A-level student in England asking very, very similar questions because they have to write a paper that asks these questions, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, at this point, like I've almost copy and paste <laughs> my answers <laughs> in. I feel really bad about it. But but there is a certain, yeah, there's this like, what are you asking me for? I don't know. Like, yeah. you know, like I, I know what I know. It, it the, the the one of the things that I like about doing this this pals podcast I've been doing is that I'm generally I mean I've talked to a few photographers, but I generally am talking to people who I don't know what they do. They're they're the experts, right? Mm-hmm. And because I spent so much time recording podcasts where I was talking about photography and all the rest of it, you know, all the shows that I did with Dan, and of course on taking pictures I did with Jeffrey you know, that there's hundreds of hours of me talking about that stuff. And I kind of hit a wall where I was like, why is anybody listening to me? <laughs> the, the, the talking about it is, is less interesting to me than the doing it. You yeah. know what I mean? And, and I also feel like I, I don't deserve or want to be like, I'll go give a talk somewhere. You know, I did a talk at B and H last year that I actually found on video the other day. They have it on their Facebook page, which is nice. <laughs> Uh, and you can go watch, you know, me talking for an hour and a half about my work. I'm fine with that. But overall, the idea that somehow so anybody should listen to me and that I'm an expert that, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it feels like a weird role. It's like, I'm not signing up for that, you know, yeah. because I, I don't know anything more than anybody else does. And there's plenty of people that know more than me. There's plenty of people that know less than me. And I don't, I don't know if it helps anybody to just pontificate too much. No, because that's that's when you get complacent and you just start you start believing all the things. You that, believe the hype. You believe, you believe the hype, and and you start you stop improving, and instead you're you you get sort of that pretentiousness of yeah. like, oh, I am I'm a big person. Like you start be- buying into it. Like the yeah. second you start buying into it is when I'm hot stuff, and that's why you should listen. It's it. I don't know. It just it's. I'd much rather just be a working grunt. 
Yeah. You know, and just be like, no, I, whatever. I, I get, I could talk about it, but like, how about you just go make something? I'll go make something. You go make something. And we can sit down and talk about that after the fact. But I don't know. I like the idea of being some sort of guru or something is weird to me. I mean, you're, you're, the funny thing is like, you're a guru whether you believe it or not, right? Like it doesn't it doesn't change the fact. Like you are a guru because of the things that you know. It's all whether you kind of self-identify yes, as it's, that it's, guru. It's, it's the self-identification, right? Yeah. Like the fact that I have that knowledge and I'm perfectly happy talking to somebody about it, but I'm not out there looking to play that role. I yeah. think is is it's it's the difference. It's you know, it's like it's like uh, I was Lawrence Kasdan was on script uh what's the thing that Craig Mason does? Uh, the I have no idea. The um Craig, uh, John August and Craig Mason do the, uh, why is it, what the hell's their name of the show? The podcast they do about script writing. Um, and they had Lawrence Kasdan on talking about the script for Empire Strikes mm-hmm. Back. And they were reading some of the original handwritten dialogue of when Yoda meets Luke. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, you should go look it up. It's pretty good. Script Notes, that's the name of the show. And it was interesting because, like, it was one of these Yoda basically starts, like, railing into to Luke. And he's just like, he's like, you know, all you ever do is think about what's not right in front of, like, think about the future and where you're going and what you're doing and what you're not getting and whatever it is. You're never thinking about what's right in front of you. Uh-huh. And he's like, Jedis are not, they're not looking for a fight. You're looking for a fight. The people who really know how to fight are not looking for a fight. They're looking how not to fight. It's all that sort of like weird Zen yeah. samurai stuff, you know, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. that he's cribbing from Japanese films. But but it was just really interesting hearing, because you're like, okay, well, first of all, that's interesting. And B, it's weird hearing somebody reading stuff that's in Empire Strikes Back, but isn't in Empire Strikes like didn't make it into the final film. Yeah. It was in the original thing. It's like, oh, that gives you some weird insight into the characters that you didn't have before. You well, know? that's the that's the beauty of of like of um of subtext and realizing the text sort of within the, within the dialogue. Sure. So it's like, you know, as a, as a writer, I put writer in quotation marks, but as someone who writes stuff, it's always something to like, when you go back over it, the, the, the idea is like, how, how, how many less words can I say the same yeah. thing? Yeah, pull pull the literal stuff out and let people sort of right. understand it from what isn't there. Right, and so it's like you can get everything that you just described is in the movie. Like all of the all of the information you yep. just went off on is in the movie, you but it's just done it. in three sentences. Yeah, it's it's sort of like uh, it's it's sort of in the negative space of of the language that right. was there. That's that's where like the that's where the magic happens where you can where you can read something or you can write something. I, I'm infamously verbose, and so whenever I'll write, I've heard like, that about you, buddy. <laughs> yeah, um, I've uh, I'll write like a paragraph of what someone has to say, and then I'll have to go over it again and again and again, and be like, all right, I can cut this sentence down to this. I can cut that sentence down to this, or right. shorten this up, and like I can say the same thing. You know, if you can say the same thing in three words instead of four, do it. Yep. Um, and which is always something I have a problem with, but I know that's the that is where the magic happens is where you can take that larger thing and and shorten it down, which I guess ultimately is across the board because that's how editing works too. You know, if you're just yeah, editing true. a film, it's the same thing. Yeah. It's a uh, um, it was what was I listening to something about? Um, uh, oh, it was. Uh, have you? I, I've been wa- listening to that Roger Deakins podcast. Oh, you have. Okay. And there's a bunch of episodes about animation because apparently he's DP'd like 
animated stuff? Did you know? That? Really, I didn't know that. Or maybe he's just talking about. I've skipped them because animation just it did, like it's never interested me. Mm-hmm. But they had on uh, the one of the head restoration people from Criterion Collection the other day. Oh wow! Talking about where they get their original stuff, where they get the, their source material, and then how they make decisions on which source material is correct and what huh. it's supposed to look like, and how. Sometimes the director will be dead, but they'll get the cinematographer and the cinematographer will, will make different decisions than the director did because it's what they wanted all the time. Yeah. And the director was like, the director wanted it desaturated, but they always shot it and wanted it saturated. So then when they get their chance, they're like, oh, bring the saturation up. Yeah. And it was just, it's just really interesting <laughs> listening to these people argue about this stuff. It was really funny. And a few examples of things that they did that they, 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 they then went in and, and somebody came in and said, oh, you did that all wrong. You know, oh, like after geez, the yeah. fact. It's just it was really interesting. They also had on um they had on the 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 lead from nineteen seventeen, the actor oh, guy yeah, yeah, yeah. talking about that whole process was George really interesting. Something or other? Yeah. And uh uh they did a whole they did a whole episode on like uh yeah, it's it's really interesting. It's it's I mean it's not like your average person wouldn't find it interesting. You mm. would find it interesting. Uh so you might want to listen to to some of those. They're kind of good. It's it is interesting though that what I I watched um, Hail Caesar the other day. Yep. And I've never been a huge Coen Brothers fan. Okay. Like my favorite Coen Brothers movie, I think, is the Lewin Davis one, Inside Lewin Davis. Yeah, sure. Um, but that is much more. In some ways, I think that's the sort of one of the lesser Coen Brothersy Coen Brothers movies. To some extent, it's a little more meditative um, than their other movies, maybe. It, they, you know, they do a really good job. I think they're, they're, they're. I think the Coen Brothers are, are are a bit unique in that they can play with all sorts of different genres, but yet they have a very they have a very identifiable style. Even they, though their style is not the same each movie, yeah, does that no, make sense at yeah, all? No, absolutely. But but it's funny because okay, so like I've seen that. I've seen. Oh brother, I've seen Fargo. I've seen I've seen all these movies. I've never and 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 everything about their work and Deacon's work in those movies is exceptionally well done. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, I find it really uninteresting. It's almost too well done. You know what I mean? Like it's it's all so perfect mm-hmm. that it's uninteresting to me. Interesting. Yeah, I like I've <laughs> it's 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 like I watch them and I go, that's a beautiful shot, or yeah, that acting is really good, or that scene was whatever, and I was just like. This movie's boring. Like I, I, it's 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 this weird thing where I can appreciate it on all the technical mm-hmm. levels, and yet I kind of find my mind wandering while I'm watching them. Interesting. So I I do find it interesting that you inside Lewin Davis, you know that wasn't that wasn't Deacons. Uh, uh yeah. Well, uh, I didn't know that, but that makes more sense than. Maybe it's Deacons I don't like. Maybe you just don't like Deacons. Wow, an exclusive right here. <laughs> it's a hot take. Yeah, Bill Waterman <laughs> hates Roger Deacons. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe, maybe. Who shot that one? Do you know? Uh, I don't remember They his brought name. somebody else in? They brought someone else in because I think either Deacons wasn't available or whatever. Well, because, I mean, two things about that movie. I I, I, I thought that What's-His-Name was great in it. Uh, oh, uh, Oscar Isaacs. Isaacs? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's like. I mean, he's he's he's, he's, he's fantastic. Yeah, at that. He's, he's just great. Um, 
Yeah, and and I thought that it didn't feel quite as. It's interesting that you know everyone talks about Deacons hadn't won an Academy Award. He deserves. He deserves. He's been nominated. He never. Won. How could this man have never won? And I guess he won for Blade Runner, right? For the new Blade yeah, Runner. Yeah. Um. And then has he won since then? Did 1917 win cinematography? Uh, I think 1917 won something. I thought anyway. it. Yeah, it won something. I thought. Um. But yeah, but it's it's like again, it's. It was. It's also interesting to me because I, I. Oh, they had. A, they had a, their DIT was came on. Their tech oh, came wow. on, which was really interesting. Talking about the technical issues they were having, or allowing the having the producers allow them to bring the techs on two or three weeks before while they were doing test footage for 1917 to figure out all of the wireless stuff that uh, Teradex stuff that they had yeah. to do, you know, to basically to get shots somewhere else wirelessly because mm-hmm. the camera's moving, they can't have cables on it. Right. And how the producers didn't want to spend the extra money to have the techs there to figure all that out while they were doing rehearsals. Jesus. It, I mean, just like things that you would think really on a movie that big, yeah. they're building war zones and they can't pay, you know, some techs for two weeks of work to save them for the real production. Anyway, the point of it was that, um, uh, uh, that, 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 it's amazing sometimes hearing people, even at the level of Roger Deakins or his wife, James, who I guess works on everything with them, mm-hmm. how their knowledge is not much more than ours. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, in fact, Roger Deakins says some things every once in a while that you're just like, do you even understand what those words, those terms mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's little things of like, do you really know what a DI is? Do you really know... What you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I, I'm sure he knows a lot of very specific things, but I think he also has such a crew of people who take care of so much stuff for him that I don't know that he could do a lot of their jobs. Yeah, well, I mean, he's been in the business for so long. Like you wonder right. like how much you know, everything for him was very analog for a lot of years. So right. how much has he stayed with all the digital transformation? I mean, everything has gotten Apparently so Hell crazy. Caesar, they so. filmed on film. I think it was because I looked it up the other day. How, how, how did you like Hail Caesar? Because I was very mediocre on it. I thought it was very mediocre. Yeah. The the best scene, I think my fa- <laughs> my favorite scene in the whole movie is like two minutes long where they go with Scarlett Johansson to Jonah Hill's office. Yeah. The attorney's office to like do the whole thing with the baby. Right. And he's just yeah. like, he's like, it's part of the job, ma'am. And he's just like stamping stuff and he's all just completely deadpan. Yeah. I thought in some ways his was the best acting in the whole movie. <laughs> I thought it was, yeah, it was a little slow. And like, ultimately the whole end is a guy gets in the sub and you're like, okay, really? That's, yeah, that's the big reveal. It's a bit I, meandering. I, I thought. thought that the, the water scene like the reproductions of the old MGM kind of scenes. Right. Chan- Channing Tatum scene in the bar where they're dancing and singing sure. and dancing. That was incredible. Yeah. Like he's fantastic. Oh, um, I mean, it's Channing Tatum. No, absolutely. <laughs> but like even like the choreography was great. He was great. Yes. Like it felt like an old movie. And it's funny when they, when they, in a few sh- parts of that shot, they cut back to like a super like pulled back camera of the whole set. Yeah. And the sheer number of lights up above the set in order oh, to make yeah. it look like that. Yeah. You know, there's 25 5K lights banging down from every direction. Oh, yeah. To, to fill a space like that with light like they would have to do back then. Sure. It was just, it's just kind of amazing. From the nerdy sort of filmmaking history point of view, it's kind of neat looking at that stuff the way they did it. Um, but yeah, the movie was just like, it was on Netflix or Amazon or one of sure. those that I was like, oh, I might as well watch this, you know. 
But no, it didn't do anything for me. Yeah, it, it was, I, I mean, I really, I saw it in the theaters and then I haven't watched it since and I have no real desire to. It's it's just one of those, it's just one of those ones that just kind of, for me, didn't really grab me. Yeah. Um, you know, but I love the, Co- but see, I, I do love the Coen brothers and even if, I know going into a Coen brothers movie, even if I don't like their movies, right, even if I, even if, like, you know, they did the the ballad of Buster Skag, Scrubs Scruggs or whatever it was. Yeah, I didn't see that either. Which um, you know, it's different vignettes and with varying degrees of of uh, uh like some of them I like, some of them I didn't like. But it's always the same. Like whether I like the Coen Brothers movies or not, it all there is always that sort of technical level that I can always appreciate them because they do it in such a way where I'm like Man, these guys are good. Like oh, yeah. they, they whether I like their movie or whatever their story is or not, I can always look at their stuff and be like, "Man, these guys have got it." Like they just know what they want to do yep. and they do it at a at a level that is just not very common. Yes. You know. Yeah. yeah. And they do it across genre. That's the thing that I find so fascinating because listen, I, I Do you think Tarantino is very similar to that? No, that and that's I was just about to say, like, I love Tarantino at a at a at a pretty high level. Like he is amazing to me and I, I could never do what he does. All right. All right. Yeah, I could never <laughs> ever do what he does, but I find his movies to be fascinating to a to a degree that I don't say about a lot of other directors. However, all of his movies are doesn't matter what the genre is, they're all the same. Right, it's all it, it's all like the exact same style. It's all the exact same everything, and that's taking away none of their, its brilliance. But like you take a movie like Jackie Brown versus Pulp Fiction versus um, Django Unchained versus uh, you know Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, yep. they all are the same style of movie. Like those are different genres, but they're all the same yeah, style. Yeah, it's like he he just he takes a genre, but he just pastes himself on top of the genre, or, right? Or whereas, he pastes the genre on top of him is probably yeah. Probably. Like whereas the Coen Brothers can go can dance, between, jump into another genre, you know, Raising yeah. Arizona and No Country for Old Men, which are just vastly different tones true, and true. genres, and yet yeah. each one they do exceptionally well yeah um that and that's where i find the coen brothers i find them to be so fascinating where even though i don't always love their movies i can always appreciate their their ability to make yeah and i think i think i i think you and i agree with that i just generally have not enjoyed them all that much you know what i mean <laughs> it's like i watch them and they're like yeah, it was fine i don't need to watch that again you know i'm also not a big lebowski fan and okay there's people who are you know bonkers about lebowski sure um so it's it's all very uh it's funny we were up here during the daytime and now it's nighttime. Yeah, I can barely see you. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of nice though, right? We're doing we're doing we're recording this in the dark. <laughs> this is this so is put very on your strange. head. Oh, you know what I bought recently? This is a little aside. I bought a pair cuz Heather's working from home for, you know, forever for seemingly. Reason. Um I bought a pair of of active noise cancellation headphones. Sure. Like those Bose ones, mm-hmm. but I bought an anchor pair. Yeah. First of all, they're pretty good. Okay. Like, I mean, they're I mean, not they're the Bose. They're not the absolute best sounding headphones, mm-hmm. but like the, the noise cancellation thing is kind of neat. Like it takes it, the air conditioner almost disappears, which really? is kind of impressive. Yeah. That is impressive. Um, but I was lying on the bed the other day. I was like exhausted the other day for some reason. I laid down in the bed 
and I put on the things and I was just messing around on, on uh, YouTube and I found a binaural recording, which is a recording they make where they put the microphones the same distance as two ears. Okay. And so when you put headphones on and listen to it, it, it sort of has this 3D effect where you're actually in the space. And it was a binaural recording of a beach in Norway for 60 minutes. Wow. And it was just these these waves crashing on this beach. I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> I'm just like lying there, and there was a breeze coming in the window, and I was like underneath a blanket, so I was like warm and toasty. <laughs> and I had these headphones on, and the world disappeared. And I was like, ah, oh, this is just so nice and relaxing. Unlike this weird music somebody's playing out their car door right now. Um but anyway, it was just, it was just really kind of just like, oh, I, I, it's, I, I find myself needing, I guess, you know, part of it is just that, you, you know, we live in this, you know, 600 square foot studio apartment. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's enough space for two people, but there's no doors. You know what I mean? It's yeah, like, it's yeah, just yeah. the two of us there for 23 hours a day. Sure. For a hundred days straight, you know? Yeah. Um, and luckily I love my wife and everything's good. But, like, I'm used to being able to spend time alone. And even though I can I can work in the sense that if you want me to retouch something, I can sit there, I can put on headphones, and I can retouch or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I can't think creatively very well with somebody else around. Huh. You know what I mean? It's like somebody 10 feet away taking a phone call, yeah, jiggering about, typing on a keyboard. Like, it just takes me out of it enough that I can't hunker down. And I think it's probably just cuz I've had 20 years of basically having my days to myself. Sure. To do what I do. It's like my brain has has grown up that way. Um Yeah, it's just it's so anyway, just putting on the headphones, it it kind of has this feeling of being away from everything <laughs> in a way that I didn't It's before. like a weird sensory deprivation <laughs> yeah, tank. Yeah, totally. You know? Yeah, it's not, it's it's totally like that. After 15 minutes of it, I woke up kind of I like kind of came out of it refreshed. Well, that's good. Anyway, just I'll, I'll send you a link because it's actually quite nice if you have some good headphones. Um, the uh, uh, so so I guess we'll just wait until we'll just wait until you actually make this movie and then come back and discuss how the shooting went. Yeah, I will. Uh, I mean, we you know we did do um, a read through. I heard we did a read through. We did yeah. a, a, a virtual table read, which I'd never done obviously before in my life. Yeah, Chris said. Chris, uh, we saw Chris a couple weeks ago, and he he told us about it. Yeah, it was it was it ended up being a, a lot better than I thought it was going to be because I you know I don't use Zoom a lot and why did you think it would not be good? You have good actors, you have good people. What's... Well, because it was more of the technology because oh, okay. I, you know I I've been on some Zoom calls and for the most part, you know sometimes it's not as it's not a fluid conversation and so due to um, the latency, you think? Yeah, due to some latency, due to the fact that. You know, sometimes things cut in and out and, you know, whatever happens. Yeah. And so it's just, uh, you know, with a script where you want, you want that, uh, you want that sort of that rhythm, you know, that you sure. get into with like dialogue where it's like, you want to have that sort of thing go back and forth. And I was worried that on like a Zoom call, you know, where you have like nine people or whatever it is that it wouldn't really, it wouldn't really work. But I, I was pleasantly surprised. I thought. You know, certain people had like varying degrees of connection and microphone, and so sometimes that that was a, a thing. But, um, but I was surprised a bit that when there was dialogue between two characters, that it it felt it felt 
it worked well. You know, it felt like you were all, they were almost there. Does it, it make you feel better forth. about the production? It was like, okay, I've heard these people saying these words in the same place together through the whole thing. Like I, we have a baseline now. Um, no, I mean, I, I was fine with it before. I mean, it was nice to get that. So the, the two lead characters that we have cast, it was the first time that I've heard them read through the whole script. Okay. So I've had them audition, obviously, several right. scenes, but it was the first time to go start to finish. And so it's always nice to hear that for the first time to kind of let them get into the rhythm of it as opposed to the whole audition process, which is a goddamn train wreck. And so to have that sort of relaxed, like, hey, listen, everyone's got the part. No need to get it. Ner- There's no nervousness here. Let's just all read through it. And we're going to have a good time and we'll stop occasionally and we'll have a laugh and then we'll move on. And so um, it, it's nice to kind of hear it all from start to finish like you're watching a movie. And what happens if you did this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you, yeah, you have them all cast, whatever it is. And you realize, wow, person A or B or C is like, they're a weak link. We have to recast them. <laughs> I mean, is, I mean, there's a chance that that happens, right? Like this just is not gelling and the problem is this one person. Yeah. I mean, it would depend on when we're talking about it. If you're talking yeah. about like now. And, and how are you going to let Chris know that that yeah. was? <laughs> <laughs> well, the easy thing is we just don't tell him when to show up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you, just, you, just, you just ignore him and yeah. he's like, listen, um, <laughs> we're not going to do the movie anymore. And then you just do it with somebody else. And then the movie comes out <laughs> next year. Right. right. And then that's the end of it. But no, I mean, I don't. I don't luckily... Uh, you know, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty thorough when it comes to auditioning and making sure that the people who are in the roles should be in the roles. And right. so, you know, the people who don't audition, like uh, you know, Chris obviously didn't audition. Right, right, right. But it's like I've worked with You've him a bunch, Chris and I know where I know where he lives, and so I know where his where, where his strengths are. Yeah. And you know, the people who I just simply was like, "Hey, would you do this part for me?" Those are the people that I know and trust. Sure. The people who I don't know, I audition to the point where I know that a I know that they're good for the part, but b I know that they can adjust and take notes which is one of which I actually find to be even more important than being able to play the role is if you can internalize a note um, and you can give me something different than what you originally gave me. Uh, that's, that's a very important to me because, you know, it's one thing if you come in and you can nail it, that's great. But then that means that you have, if you can't take a note, then that means you have to nail it every single time. And if that person and myself is not on the same page at any given moment, then I'm screwed, right? Because I'm I am only at the I'm only at the mercy of whatever they can do, and so I need to know that they have the ability to do it a couple different ways, so that if on set they're not doing it the way I want, I can kind of get them to do it the way I want, or that we can kind of come together with a delivery that works. And so, sure. um, so I'm I'm by the time I get to a point where I've offered someone a role, uh, I'm usually pretty confident that like they can they can handle it so let's let's i mean hey listen hopefully that hopefully that doesn't happen but if it does i mean you know we had on the last movie you're not gonna sink a movie to be a nice guy yeah no of course not uh i mean if it if worse comes to worse listen anything can fall off in the editing room right yeah sure um and so you know i remember last they they recast marty mcfly after they started absolutely i mean you know, in the, in the last movie that I did, we we had cast um, this woman who was playing. Um, she was it, it was like a, a, a 
uh, a scene that was supposed to take place like 15 years before the the present day. And we did a big casting for the this this mother of the of the kid. And so this woman uh, uh, was very good in the audition and she was great. And so I cast her, but it was a very short sort of audition process. And then we kind of got up there. And this is my fault as a director. I, I accept this 100%. This woman was kind of walking into a situation where she was the only person who didn't know anyone. Everyone else had been working together for weeks. And so she was kind of coming in without knowing anyone. And then I mistakenly was like, okay, first scene is her scene right out of the gate. And, uh, and it, it, they were like, it took like several takes, it took like 10 or 12 takes or whatever, that very first scene. And by the, by when we got into like the 10th take, I definitely was in my head thinking like, oh no, like what happens if she can't do this? Like, what are we going to have to do in order to, to recover from this? Now, thankfully it didn't have a problem because it together. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we took a break for a second. We talked through it a little bit. Then she came back and then she nailed it and then was fine the rest of the way to which I realized afterwards, oh, stupid. It's because she was nervous and you forced her to, to do the scene right out of the gate without knowing anybody on set. And yep. like you should have warmed up with something else and then kind of eased her into it a bit more and then it wouldn't have been a problem. So that was that was sort of my takeaway, whereas really was my fault and not hers. But I mean, you have situations that come up, um, and you just hope that you hope that you can kind of get through it in a certain way. Yeah, yeah. Man, filmmaking uh, two hundred one with Brad Rigo. Yeah. <laughs> so how does it feel being a guru of? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you know when I get there. Yeah. You know, I feel like uh, there's, uh, you know, I, 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 I feel like. I don't know, man. I feel like I, I really feel like I've done nothing. I feel like I have done absolutely nothing. Like it's just you. I think of the movies that I I want to do, and I think of where I want to be and 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 the kinds of productions I want to be involved in. Yeah. And I'm just like, what is this disaster that I'm doing? Like this is just Mickey yeah. Mouse stuff. I was what listening are you doing? to somebody. Somebody was talking about some like famous movie. Let's say it was Back to the Future, right? Right. It wasn't, but I, let's say it was. It was like, oh, yeah, and like at the time, Zemeckis was 31 years old or whatever it is. Like some, yeah. you know, because he probably was. Sure. And you think, hold on a second. How the hell did a 31-year-old kid or Spielberg. Yeah, he was like in his 20s when he did Jaws. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, are you out of your goddamn mind? Yes, that's exactly my point. Like, how does that happen? Yeah, I don't know. You know, uh, and I just, sometimes I wonder, like, are are we just coming to this too late did we do something wrong in, is the world different? Did we do something wrong or is it just sort of like, it's irrelevant, just do what you're going to do. And if you get where you're going to get, so it happens when you're 45 instead of when you're 25, it doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I mean, speaking for myself, I, I came into it too late. Um, and it's, it's one of the things that I kind of, uh, kind of berate myself for a lot a lot in in my in sort of my own in my head it's like i i you wasted time in your 20s i wasted a lot of time thinking that oh i'll get there and not putting in the work i needed to do it and so how how would you get there if not for the work uh you know what it is i don't know It, it it's a lot of it is just 
it's twofold. It's one, uh, this sort of fantasy world where you're just like, oh, well, I'll get there eventually. It'll happen, right? It's that, it's that sort of indestructible young thing sure. where you're just like, oh, well, I've got my whole life in front of me. I'll get there. It'll happen. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, you just don't, you just don't put the work in that you need to do because you think it'll just happen. And then it, it doesn't, it, it's not until you get to a certain point where you look around and you're like, shit, I haven't gone as far as I've wanted to. How come? And then you look at it and be like, oh, because I haven't been putting the work in. Right. And so then you have to try and play catch up. And so, I mean, I think, I think we were, you and I obviously were the same age. And so I think, I think you and I kind of in this generation kind of came up in a time that was very different where there was a lot more choices. Like I feel like our generation has had, was the first generation that had so many more choices available to us for what we wanted to do with our lives. Yeah. Cause like our parents, when you know, you, you, you go to school you either go to college, don't go to college, you get a job and you have a family. And then that was really your yep. life, right? Yep. Like that's, you choose a direction, you stick with it yep. and then you die. Right. And <laughs> right? Here, we, here we are two 45 year old guys who, uh, well, I'm married. You're not, neither of us have kids. Right. I mean, like this is like a different time, a different. Yeah. Place. Like, you know, growing up, I, I never I, it was always just expected that it's like, all right, well, I'm going to go to school and then I'm going to be an electrician and then I'll be an electrician for a while and then I'll make some money and then, you know, get a house and that's have a family. And that that's just what my path was. You know, that's just how because it that's is. what told, people told you you would do or because that's yeah, that's my parents didn't know any better. My parents are were blue collar people. And so that's sort of what you do. You pick a career that you want. And when you go to, if you, I mean, none of my parents didn't go to college. Like no right. one in my family has gone to college, you know? So it's like, um, you, you kind of like just pick a job and that's your thing. And so I feel like we kind of all of a sudden were, were at an age where everything opened up with the advent of computers and, and whatnot so that you could kind of, you don't have to choose a career. You can play in one thing and then go and play in something else. And it's not, everything is not so rigid. And I think, I think personally anyway, you know, that sort of happened a little bit. It it happened that if that had happened when I was younger, perhaps I would have kind of gotten onto the stick a little bit quicker, but because it happened a little bit later, you know, I'm in my, my early twenties and all this stuff opens up. And so now it's like, Oh, now there's a whole bunch of options and like, whatever like this is all new and so boy how old were you when you decided you wanted to make movies um oh i mean i was i was a teenager so i was probably like 17 18 uh, 18 maybe so what was keeping you from doing it from like going whole hog into that in the beginning just the feeling like i live in massachusetts there's no way i can make movies here money to get equipment and all the rest of it like what what kept you from sort of jumping full on both feet into that at the time I mean, it did not even seem like that was a viable career. Okay. And I don't mean viable as in like, oh, could you make money on it? Like that felt like fairy tale It was stuff. such a fantasy because it was so far away. It was so far away. Like no one I knew had made movies. No, no, one I, no one I was in contact with made movies. So it was just like the idea of making, being a filmmaker as a career was, it was like, you'd be like, you're going to be a unicorn. Right. Like right, right, I want right. to be a unicorn when I grow up. Like that's, that's sort of the idea. And so it was like, you know, senior in high school, I realized I don't want to be an electrician and I want to make movies, but without any real idea on how to do it or where to go, 
or how to kind of achieve that. And so it's like, all right, well, I don't really know what to do, but I know I want to do it. So I'm just going to kind of try and figure it out. And, you know, it's just you kind of you make a bunch of I make a bunch of short films and you kind of dick around a lot. And then, you know, I went to the New York Film Academy for a little bit to kind of learn some of the some of the basics Um, now. But that was when I was like early 20s. And so I'd I'd already been out of school for four or five years by that point. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you get out of that and now I'm in my mid twenties and then it's like, all right, make like a movie here or there, but then you got to get a job. And so, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it just, it wasn't really until I hit my thirties where I looked around. I was like, holy shit, my twenties are gone and I feel like I have nothing to show for it. Do you feel like if when you were 33 years old, if you could go back to your 23-year-old self, you would have slapped you in the face and go, like, just ignore everything you think you're going to do and go straight in this direction? Yeah. I mean, I mean, 100%. That would be if, – if I had the ability to. If yeah. I had the ability to, it would be – And would that be move to New York or move to L.A. then or – what would or or whatever you got to do get your you know high eight movie camera and just make a movie yeah it would be it would just be that you wouldn't have to like move to new york you wouldn't have to do any of that stuff it would more just be just make movies the experience of the process keep doing it you know because it's like you know i made i made a handful of things in my 20s um but there were also a lot of periods of inactivity where i was just doing nothing and so I think what what I would what I would like to have told my twenty something self is like don't ever stop like continue to do the stuff that you that that you want to do and all of it all of it serves something in the end so just by making and, and you know just from doing your your <laughs> all your cheese ball stuff yeah. like you learn just from doing even if it's nonsensical. Yep. Like you learn all that stuff. Like you learn these sure. things as you go through and all the stuff has to be learned. You can't skip that process. Yep. And, and so, in some ways it has to be learned by doing, screwing up and going, yep. oh, right. Don't turn the camera that way or don't do this or make sure you leave enough room before you hit action. You know what I mean? Whatever the thing is. Like it's all stuff that you just have to learn by doing. Cause none of, none of the things in movie making are rocket science. No. It's all just sort of practical, sort of, oh, right, that makes way more sense to do it that way. That's why people do it that way. Right. For and whatever just, reason. And just like anything else in life, you you learn way more by your failures than by your successes. And so <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's it's just a matter of like, hey, just just do a whole bunch of stuff because it was like it was like this idea that I had where if I, where I don't, fireworks, there's, there's the crazy way. fireworks going on right now. Yeah. Or it's, it's a riot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> New York City in June of 2020 now, yeah, nowadays, could be either. Nowadays, you don't know. Um, and yeah, so it's like, I just think um, it, you cannot skip that process. Sure. And I think that's something I didn't realize back then. Like in my mind, I was thinking like, all right, well, I'll get there. And then all of a sudden, I'll just have a movie to make. And then I'll make that movie. And then I'll make another movie. But I just didn't really have it in my head that you had to go through all of this um, sort of process. And so I think I just kind of expected that it would happen. And then once I realized I got to that certain point, I was like 31 or 32, and I realized like, oh, well, no, unless you go through it, it's not going to happen. So you just so now I have to now double time it in order to do all the stuff I should have been doing 10 years ago right. uh, and just do it twice as fast so I can get through it all. And so, um, so yeah, so I think, I think, I, yeah, I, I just think, um, I definitely think that I, I started later than 
I I should have. Yeah, the other day I was in Times Square last week, and the naked cowboy was out. <laughs> and I walked up to him, and I said, "Hey, thanks for being out here. This makes me feel so much better that you're you know out here doing it." Right. And he looked at me, Brad, and I, I think the naked cowboy and I would be friends in another lifetime. <laughs> he said, he's like, uh, you're welcome, man. Like, I just can't seem to stop. That's <laughs> what wow. he said. And How like, deep. <laughs> that's what I said. I was like, man, that's deep, naked cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> or it's it's either deep or it is a sign of a of a psychological breakdown. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He's just. I just can't seem to stop. Because uh, like if you in any other scenario, yeah, we're just like I just can't seem to stop being <laughs> naked yeah. in front of people. <laughs> like yeah. that's in Times Square. That's that's a disorder. <laughs> well, and you know, it's just that's the kind of thing that I think about. By the way, you know how he does that in the wintertime? He there's a there's like a Hilton parking lot near there. Okay. That he has a fur coat <laughs> and a set of weights in the corner. And he like runs up and puts on the fur coat and lifts weights with the fur coat on to get his core temperature up. Jesus. And then runs out and does another 20 minutes and then goes back in. Good lord. That the man, is that's the man is a machine. Yeah. But but for me, for somebody who, you know, has done years of these daily projects. Yeah. Uh, or now months of these daily projects, the, the whole idea of, you know, you know, I could, I could stop today doing these stupid cheese ball things is day 91. That's plenty. Sure. I should probably go to a hundred, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's, there's always this little nagging. Even though a hundred is just as arbitrary as 91. Like Absolutely. there's nothing about a hundred that's or, different. Or maybe it should be phase two reopening. For, yeah. Whatever, right? Whatever, right. right? You just keep moving the goalposts, right? Yeah. And honestly, like it's going to be a hundred because there's other stuff I want to do. But, you know, there's a handful, there's a bunch of people who have liked these stupid things so much and say, have said, you don't understand. Like I wake up in the morning and I look for this video because everything else in my life is just so unpredictable. Yeah. You know, it's, it's nice having their people find something silly in their inbox, essentially, right, right. you know, every, every day. Um, but yeah, but I mean, but it's just the, the, the doing it totally is, is what it is. I mean, even now you have what, two more scripts that you have written that are kind of waiting. At what point do you start pushing those? Or are you already pushing those to start f- raising funding for those? Because in some ways, it seems like the the, the guys who the guys and gals who are filmmakers at, at whatever that level is, everything is overlapping constantly. You know, pre-production yeah. is overlapping, production is overlapping, post-production for three different projects simultaneously. Right. I mean, is, is that where you would ideally want to get? Or do you like the, I'm going to spend all this time, finish this one, then start the next one. No, I, at this point, uh, it, it's, um, I mean, sans pandemic, like what my original goal, my called original, sans-demic. Sans-demic, yeah. <laughs> um, what my original goal was, um, was to shoot this movie. And when it, when we're, when we wrap production, uh, hand it off to an editor. And during the time that the editor has it, I would begin pre-production on whatever the next movie would be. And has any, has that changed based upon? Well, the it's changed now just in the sense that, you know, I don't know when production is going to be and I don't know, I don't or know how when, much money you're going to get for editing. How I don't much know how much money I'm going to get for editing. I don't know what the landscape is going to look like as far as raising money for the next one in general. And so, um, it's going to, there's a little, I mean, there's still, that still is the goal. 
what I would like to do is shoot this one and then start pre-production on the next one and have the next one ready to go. Then we ideally would line up so that when the edit is done, then we put together the, the package for it, sell it, and then use the sales off of that in order to, to fund the next one. Fund the next one. Or or not so much fund the next one, but basically take the sales of that, pay back investors, and then be able to go back to those investors and say, Okay, Look, you made money on the first one. Yep, How about now, you jump that back? Here's in? our here's our next one that we're doing. Jump on board. And so that I want I do want to have that sort of continuous sort yep. of train moving so that it's always kind of working on whatever the next the next thing is. Yeah, it it it, it is is yeah, no, it's really interesting. I mean, a number of I mean, performing arts friends of ours, people were in like theater, yeah, Broadway, dance. Eesh. Yeah, when it, I mean, I can't even imagine if you're if you're in dance, you know, if you're in in the people dance I know, or, they're or, not they're or, not going back to rehearsal till September. Yeah, musical theater. So there, I mean, could you imagine a company that as you know usually is performing and doing school and all that kind of you know all that kind of stuff, and they got nothing for six months. Not to mention the fact that if you especially something like a like dancers where you have to stay in shape. Yeah, like you're gonna come back after five months off, six months off, yep. and now you're gonna you can't just ramp up production. I mean, I'm sure all these people who are in they're, fantastic they're working, shape, they're working out, and they're working out. But still, like there is a difference. Well, and and what about all the dances you were working on? Like how yeah. how rusty is all of that? Yeah, I mean it's still. I mean I, you know, there's still a difference between even if you're working out at home. I'm sure there's a lot of stuff that you can do, but there's there's probably it's probably nothing you can do that would mimic what you would do in a rehearsal, yep. right? Because yep. if you're just home in your apartment, like you can't... You don't have the room. You you're not working room with run the other around people. and do crazy lifts and, and whatever dancers yep. do, yep. you know? Yeah. But it, it is it is a real problem. And and, and like a uh, number of actors I know who have just like left town. Yeah. Because it's like, well, there's not going to be any work for the next nine months. So why am I paying $20,000 in those nine months for rent? Yeah. My, so my, <laughs> the, the guy who is the assistant director on Cryptid... Um, who is a, who's a friend of mine and he has a, a video uh, a production company. Yeah, when this whole thing started like in April, he just he just took off. Like he was just like I I don't want to be here anymore and he went up he rented an Airbnb in Maine before Airbnb stopped renting houses and he rented a place in Maine. He's still up there. And he's for just months. like, "Yeah, man, there's no reason for me to come back." He brought his whole computer up there and he does like editing and stuff up there. Um, and he's still in just this rental house up in Maine for the last like three months. Does he months. like it or is he going crazy? No, he loves it. He's like, he's, he's, it, it actually bothers me because he calls me up and he's like, I was like, hey, what have you been up to? Oh, well, you know, there's like a dock right by. So I've been doing some kayaking and like hiking. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, oh, so this isn't really, there's nothing. This isn't nothing not a hardship yeah. for you. This is totally fine for I mean, you. Th- like, yeah. There, there was, there was talk initially of like Heather and I, you know, getting in a car or train or whatever and getting up to like my mother's house in Connecticut. It's like. Well, it's on the water. Right. You know, it's got a little dock. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like there's no one there. My mother's stuck in Thailand. So there's yeah, no yeah. one there. It's just sitting. There's just this house sitting there in Connecticut empty. But there's part about, I mean, the whole people clapping at 7 p.m. And just having been here through this with a bunch of other people. Yeah. Like there's something about that life experience that is more interesting to me than sort of waiting it out in the middle of nowhere. Sure. I don't personally, that is. I, if I was out in the middle of nowhere, I'd feel like I was missing something here. 
and I know other people see it differently or other people see it as like an, an opportunity to escape or whatever it is, but like, I, I, I don't know. Maybe just because overall there's no advantage to me being out in the middle of nowhere other than being able to go for walks or whatever. It's not like, you know, there's, that's about it. You know? Yeah, I think I think the general consensus is just there's a little bit it's a little less stressful. Right. You know, because yeah. you have the room to sort yeah. of if you want to go for a walk, you know, every day sure, you sure. can do that without yeah. having to worry about 40,000 people yep. on your back. Yeah. So I think I think that's just where it is. It's just yeah. that that sort of stress-free um It has been really interesting watching the whole process though. Both both the both the protests and the pandemic and all the rest of it like watching it out the windows, seeing friends of yours like, you know, Restaurants got a lot of restaurants are going to stay in business. Yeah, that's crazy. Even I a diner. I, I mean, with restaurants, you know, they they've obviously the the takeout stuff has has probably at least helped them stave off total collapse to some degree. But yeah, but I mean, it's it's a tenth or twenty percent right. of what they you know what what they were making before. I bet you know. Right, but they could also. I mean, I assume they would obviously staff less. Yeah, staff right? less, but then they still got to. It's rent that's the expensive yeah. thing in New York. Yeah, I don't. I don't know, man. I, I I feel bad for restaurants because I feel like they're they're on the one they're they're getting it from both ends. Because on the one hand, they got to close because they can't keep people. But then once everything reopens, now then they have to they can't pack a restaurant anymore. No. So then they're you're you're putting a a, a governor on how many people can be in their restaurant yep. as to how much they can earn. So it's like. Jesus, I don't know how I don't know how they're gonna. Is do it, it worth staffing up if we don't have enough customers to make make it worth a while? Yeah, it's just it all it all kind of comes it all kind of comes crashing down in a, in a certain way. So in way. some ways, your situation is bad because you're delayed, but actually there are a few little advantages to to being delayed in the sense that all these people have nothing else to do and all like you know all the things we were talking about before. Yeah, the hope is going into like a town like say Williamstown, where I'd be really excited to have you. I think so because it's like you know you're gonna have hotels. None of the hotels have been open for months, and so I to be able you, to go in there and be like, all right, well. Here's sixteen thousand dollars for three weeks uh, worth of you know uh, of uh, of a stay. You know, like to I, have, I, th- like, I think you need to. I think you need while. to cast at least one bit part with a local person who's like in community theater up there, oh, yeah. like in state and Maine or something. Sure. <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, we do have we have do, auditions for the locals, like in waiting for Guffman. <laughs> well, it's funny because like we do have we have a local that we've cast in a bit part. But he ends up having the most credits out of anyone on our, on our set. Oh, really? Yeah, he's. Um, we we cast a, a gentleman by the name of Kevin O'Rourke, uh, who is gonna play like a, a small role, and he lives in Williamstown. He actually he's the director of theater at Williamstown College. Huh. And you know, I I kind of got in touch with him because we were hoping to film at the school. Yeah. And I was looking for students who might want to do like PAing or something for or interning. And so I talked to him and the guy who had recommended him said, Oh, you should probably, you should ask him about his acting. He's done some acting. I was like, Oh great. I wanted to get some local actors. <laughs> Did anyway. you look it up? And, it's and like, I looked it up and it's like, Oh dude, he's been in a ton of stuff. Do like, you know him? Is he like one of those guys? Yeah. He's one of those guys that when you see you just like character oh, I know actor this guy. guy. Uh, he's, he was, he had a big part on, um, on, um, Boardwalk Empire. Oh, okay. Uh, he was on Veep. I mean, he was. I mean, he was just. He's just. He's one of those guys. When you, you asked him, at. was he like, yeah, sure, yeah, and he was just super nice. I, I contacted him. I was like, oh, by the way, you know, I was asking about students, but I, you know, I understand that you're an excellent actor. Would you be willing to be in this role? We have this small part. It's a day of shooting, and we're going to shoot it in Williamstown. And he looked over the script. He's like, yeah, that sounds great. I'm in. 
I was like, great. <laughs> and uh, so it's just funny that we do actually have like a local person who's in it, but he has he the most actual- credits. <laughs> it is, it is, it is funny though that I feel like actors in, in my estimation, of course, the only people I've worked on in any stupid little thing I've done are like, right, you know, people who are are working their way in the thing most most of the time anyway. But like actors generally are up for anything. You know what I mean? Right. Because they're like, yeah, sure, an opportunity to act, and oh, you're gonna pay me some or something. Like, great. Like, let's do it. You know, like if it's not gonna be a big giant pain in the ass to them, they like doing what they do, so they're willing to do it. Yeah, it's always the toughest thing in this business for an independent filmmaker is getting through the agent slash manager gatekeeper. Right. Because by and large, I've had that experience dealing with any actor. Right. If you talk to an actor directly usually they're extremely positive and they're just like, they want to work and they love scripts. That's why they're, that's why they're in the business, right? They want to do these things. And so to talk to them directly and say, Hey, take a look at this script. What do you think? Would you be interested? Um, if they have the time and availability, like they're always excited about it and are interested when you go through, but the getting to them is the tough part because yeah. you go through in the, the first place or have, getting the agents to then say yes to the, to the deal. Yeah. Cause it's, I mean, too many, so many times, I mean, I've only dealt with agents. I haven't talked with many, many actors directly, but when I've talked to, you know, talking to agents, it's a lot of sort of back and forth where they're trying to, and, and rightfully so listen, that's their business. Their business is getting as much money for their client as humanly possible sure. because that's how they make money. Yep. And so, you know, they um, trying to get them get their attention is very, very difficult. And even when you kind of have their attention, you never fully know if the actor has ever seen anything of what you sent. Do sure. you know what I mean? So it, it becomes very difficult, like especially in this situation, we're trying to cast our supporting lead, which is a sheriff, an older, an older um, character. And so our hope was to try and get someone who's a little bit bigger name, that could increase Come the production in for a few value days, yeah. of the film. And so it's only a five-day It's only five day commitment to just come in, shoot for five days, and then go. And so, you know, I've reached out to a number of, like, big-name actors. And at first, before this sort of pandemic, it was very difficult to kind of connect with them because you'd talk to the agents and, like, they would either just ignore you or they would just say, no, don't, not, they're not, not interested. Um but then sort of the pandemic hit and all big productions were shutting down. And so then all of a sudden agents became very receptive. Right. And so you'd email them and they would get back to you right away and say, oh, you know, maybe you think we might be able to work out something like send me an offer letter. We'll try and work something out. And but then now we've kind of, it's of, the kind travel of stuff? turned again where it, it's gone on so long that I think it's now now everyone's a bit gun shy and nobody wants to do anything. So now we're kind of back in that in that previous time where I've in the last like week or so I've emailed agents and I've heard nothing back. Right. I think it's just because they don't nobody knows when this is going to start and with all the requirements and everything else that's happening everyone's right. kind of everyone now is sort of gearing up for uh uh the long winter, right? And so right. it's just um, yeah, I just, I just think everyone is a little bit more gun shy now. Flying from LA to Boston to go do your thing for five days, yeah, and, is not and, as trivial as it was. And this is not this is like the new normal now. When it, before a couple months ago, it was like, oh, here's a speed bump, and everything is going to get screwed up, but it'll be back to normal. But now all of a sudden, where it's like 110,000 deaths, 
everyone's kind of a little yeah. bit on edge and panicky and everyone's, you know, all these things are happening. Now, all of a sudden, everyone's kind of pulling back a little bit and be like, all right, well, I do need the work, but is it worth it to deal with all this other stuff? Like, I feel like, you know, you do something long enough, it becomes habit. And everyone kind of being a little bit sequestered for long enough, they it's like that uh, it's difficult to kind of now get everyone to come back out into the wild. Sure. You know. So you haven't cast the sheriff yet? We have not cast the sheriff yet. We're still looking. We're still looking. We're still trying. I I, I sent out, I sent an email to uh, Billy Crudup's agent <laughs> two days ago, and he he got back to me right away, um, and he just said no. <laughs> Just like he's like, nope. do you understand who Billy Crudup is? Yeah, well, because it's you know you never really have you know. seen Almost Famous? Yeah, you never really know. You never yeah. know like you know, what you these never are up know. To. It could be just like, oh, he has family in Western Massachusetts. He's going to be up there anyway. Yeah, you never quite know what's going to happen. There was also I also sent an email to Kurt Russell's agent. Yeah, because it was it became it became a joke at that point. Yeah, let me just send it to everybody. Just like, I can possibly, imagine. I'm sitting around in my apartment all by myself for months, like. I'm just going to start emailing see if I can every get a reaction to anybody. I can. Yeah, yeah. yeah, who can I get? Because then it was like I sent it to Kurt Russell's thing, and I, w- I started. I thought it was hilarious because wouldn't it be hilarious if Kurt Russell said yes to this movie? Yeah, because nothing else was going. And then I started to get worried. This is this is what happens when you're alone in your apartment for three months. <laughs> then I started getting worried that he would say yes. And like Kurt Russell's like seventy something years old, and then he would then say yes sick on your and get sick on my set. And you're and the guy then, who killed Kurt Russell. <laughs> I'm the guy who killed Kurt Russell. <laughs> and then it'd just be like, oh no, then what? You know. So this is the things that happen when you are alone <laughs> for a long you know, period of time. Speaking of Kurt Russell, I watched part of <laughs> is it Miracle? Is that the movie about those hockey team? Yeah, great movie. <laughs> yeah, I was watching like the first half of it. I haven't finished it. It was on something and I was just, I was rowing and had it on. Yeah. Yeah, it was not bad. No, it's a fun movie. And you know what's funny about that is that you look at the, you look at the people, the kids on the team and this 1980 hockey team that America had that won the Olympics, or whatever. Yeah. They were all babies. Yeah. They're all like 21 year old kids in hockey and like college hockey teams. Yeah. Yeah. And they were all, those were all like real hockey players. Like those were all, I guess they cast like a whole bunch of like real hockey players. Oh, did they? Okay. Yeah. They didn't, they didn't, it wasn't actors. Because you have to have people who can actually skate. Right. So they wanted the castle. That's why they were all like unknowns. It was all like people that were hockey players that could act. Um, but isn't it interesting though that just to think how young this like American team and they're all babies? They yeah, were, well, that's any sports. Anything sports is crazy. Where yeah. it's like they have it's like well, you and I are, are not right out at Coney Island right now on a Sunday evening watching a game right I now. I know it's a bummer, but yeah, it's 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 crazy. And Major League Baseball is not even going to play at all if they don't no, get their shit defi- together. They'll definitely play. It'll just it's just a matter of how how long they'll play for. But they'll definitely play. Um, They're playing chicken, though, the two the teams. Well, the- they are, but eventually the MLB has the ability to just say, we're going to start. Um, oh, really? The teams have to go? The players and then have the to players have to say, okay. And so it's just it's just a matter of, it all comes down to how much money is going to be, how much the players are going to get paid. So if the MLB wants to um, just start a season, it'll probably be like a 50-game season. And you and prorate it to the amount of games they play versus Yeah, because the whole disagreement is how much of the prorate. So the, the the union wants full prorated salaries. The MLB does not want full prorated salaries. So, you know, the MLB is trying to get more games at less than than 100% prorate. Okay. The union says we're not playing any more than pr- any any less than prorated. So, um so the MLB can say, "All right, well then we'll just play 50 games at full prorated." 
as opposed to 86 games at, you know, 60%, yeah, 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 70%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it'll happen. It's just a matter of. Yeah, of but even that. then, that's only a couple months. It's not it's not long at all. Yeah. And so, but I mean, the minor leagues won't, probably won't do anything. They probably won't start at all. So we won't be able to go to our Coney Island God, games. this is so sad. Sandy, like Sandy's going like, to be upset. This is like the dead, the dead summer. I know. It, no it, Sandy, no hot dogs, no movies, no nothing. I know. It's it's good. This is going to be such a weird summer. It's just going to be such a weird summer. We were thinking of doing movie nights up here. Oh, yeah. Where would you put the screen? Well, put put white up here and put the projector straight oh, up Yeah, there. that would work. <coughs> yeah. I mean, once it gets dark, I mean, they do it. Yeah, I mean, uh, like right now it would be fine. And you don't even need park. the audio that loud. No, not really. I mean, yeah, you'd run into a little bit of issue if your neighbors start complaining. Yeah, but I mean, we do, you know, we don't watch, we don't watch Jaws. You know what I mean? We watch, yeah, we watch more dialogue-y things. Sure, that's well, um, sometimes, yeah. No, I'm saying we would have to. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, you know, it wouldn't be that big of a deal, and we all just kind of sit up here and watch a movie. I know that's that's the uh, what we're thinking. I don't know. We'll see. Got to come up with something. We're actually going to put up. Like it's funny because uh, uh, our neighbor here just gave us Vicky just gave us these lights that maybe I'll put the lights up, plug them in, and we're gonna we're gonna get two more chairs and a table and an umbrella because if we're gonna have to be stuck at home for most yeah. of the summer, might as well spend five hundred dollars on a table and chairs up here and yeah. have it be halfway nice, you know? Yeah, that's true. Ugh. All right, Brad, let's call it, and we will uh, we'll do more when we uh, when we know more. Yeah, you. I mean, you're gonna have to seriously edit this down. <laughs> no, I'm going straight in. I'm just leaving it all like that. What has this been like? Two hours? <laughs> I don't know. Let's see. Let's, it is uh, two hours and two minutes. Wow. See this? The internal clock. It's working. Wow. <laughs> <laughs>